0: Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Mark Carter. What follows in this episode is our first Grain Talk grain marketing webinar, which was hosted by Grain Farmers of Ontario grain merchandiser Marty Hibbs on February 6, 2019. If you'd like to join us for future grain marketing webinars, you can register at gfo.ca. I noticed when we signed up online, a lot of people didn't know who I was, meaning that they had never been to our seminars, and you may not have known uh, about me personally. So uh, again, I uh, started in this business in 1985 as a commodity broker. I have about 30 years under my belt. Uh, I retired briefly in 2012, and then I started working with GFO in 2014. My background is in futures options, equities, derivatives. I was a portfolio manager designated for uh, futures, which is kind of unusual because most portfolio managers are for equities only. And uh, I was also a guest analyst on BNN for about four years from 2005 to 2009. I started at 2014, uh, April 1st, I believe for GFO. And I'm still here and uh, plan on being for a while. So if you have any questions more about me, uh, you can put them in the i will be happy to answer it, but that's just generally who you're dealing with. I also do a couple of uh, reports. Currently, we do the commentary every week, and that is basically a technical overview of what the markets look like, and it's published both on GFO.ca. You can go there under marketing, and you should see it. It's also sent out by Farm Market News if you subscribe to it from Ridgetown. And it also appears in the Ontario weekly uh, newspaper, the Farmer Magazine. So uh, if you wanna keep up with it again though, it's um, um, my outlook uh, based on technical analysis. Okay, so this webinar will be an ongoing series that'll address the opportunities for the average farmer, to utilize options and futures to maximize profits. The series will be broadcast live about every couple of weeks. And um, we uh, look forward to taking it one step at a time, delving very deeply into it and explaining one step at a time how you can utilize these markets and if you can, the best way to do it. When we first start, what we're gonna do is look at um, introduction to the futures markets, why they're important, why we use futures markets, uh, and then we'll move on to options markets, and we will be doing a, an introduction to different options, mostly the ones on futures, and then an introduction to technical analysis. Each of these courses will be divided into different topics. They'll be hosted live, but they will be archived on the Grand Farmers website for further reference. This is just our home page for GFO Marketing. As I said before, there's a few people following us through groups, small groups, and if you're looking for your link yourself, you can sign up at the site. Just go to gfo.ca marketing, and you'll see the sign-up form for register now for the webinars. Okay, so basically, before we get started, I just wanna make sure everybody can hear me okay? Can you, uh, are we getting comments there that they can? No, you're good good to go. Okay, good. So right now, when you're looking at uh, marketing your products, whether you're a a grain farmer or a hog farmer, regardless of what you are, um, you know, you need a plan of action. And in the grains, we have a couple of different ways that most farmers market their products. One would be a cash sale which means basically you sell the product, you get paid for it right away and that's the simplest form that we we use today. Uh, The Grain Farmers of Ontario also offer a pool for the wheat and that basically means that you give the wheat or a portion of your wheat to us at GFO. We in turn try to market it over a period of the next year and hopefully we can get some better prices for you depending on the year, of course, and depending on the supply demand. Uh, most people don't use the pool um, as 100%, but what they might do is put uh, a portion of their weed in the pool, and hopefully, as the market moves around, we get better opportunities than if you sell it all at uh, harvest time, which is usually the time of the year when markets are suppressed. Uh, Forward contracts, of course, are just, are they probably the most common one? And that's where you make a commitment to an elevator or to us where you sell your grain based on a specific price that's set. Now, the thing with forward contracts is it's probably the most common, but they're a a contract, which means that you are uh, committed for delivery. Once you make the contract, there's not really any getting out of it, unless of course something happens where your crop fails or or you have some other reason Uh, we can make arrangements to either roll the contract forward. But it is an agreement in general, and it's usually set in stone. So that way, when you make a commitment to deliver your grains to an elevator, they depend on those grains, and they expect them. And then, of course, the one we're going to focus on is the futures and options markets. And this one's a little bit different, and we will go into some detail about why uh, some people would prefer to use the futures and options as opposed to forward contracts. So the futures markets themselves are twofold. There's a couple of reasons we use the futures markets. Number one is to hedge or reduce your risk. Uh, hedging for those of you, I'm sure everybody knows what it is, basically hedging is an investment to remove your risk from an adverse price movement of the underlying asset. So in this case, uh, being a farmer, what you're concerned about is price risk on the downside, which means if the price falls below your Um, production level or your production costs, you're gonna lose money. So sometimes what happens is when farmers see a price that they like, they need to try and lock it in. And by locking it in, this is what we call hedging, or hedging your risk. So one of the primary purposes of the futures market is to control risk. The second one is price discovery. And generally what that means is that when you bring buyers and sellers together, like water finding its own level, Uh, the buyers and sellers agree upon a price, and that is what we call price discovery. So in other words, your product is only worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. So if uh, you are offering it too high, it won't sell until we get to a median that both the buyer and the seller agree upon, and that's the point at which we figure price discovery has done its job. So the purpose of the futures markets are basically, a lot of people are misinformed about futures markets. They see them as this big, scary vehicle. But uh, the purpose of the futures market is really to hedge raw materials. Now, I know as a farmer, you understand what your concerns are, because if you're growing the product, your concern is that the price of wheat or corn or beans will go below your cost of production. Likewise, there's people and companies out there uh, that are on the opposite side of that. And these are what we call long hedgers. A farmer or a mining company would be say a short hedger because you wanna lock in the profit when you see it. Uh, On the other side of the uh, coin, there's companies out there uh, like trucking companies, uh, airline companies, and their concern is quite the opposite. They're concerned about the cost of jet fuel or aviation fuel, um, crude oil, um, truck, Uh, diesel fuel, all going up in price. And of course, if it does, that totally affects their outcome or their bottom line. So with uh, material hedging, raw material hedging, there's two sides to that coin. And in the case of farmers, you're concerned about the price dropping. So uh, we'll concentrate for today on the farmers because we understand that's what we're dealing with and that's more what we're concerned with. So these participants include buyers and sellers from every major company globally, as well as producers and users and speculators. So there are people in there that are legitimately concerned about the cost of, let's say, a um, a coffee shop that has, like Starbucks, that sell tens of thousands of tons or buy tens of thousands of tons of coffee beans. Their concern, of course, is that the price of coffee beans are gonna go up and what they wanna do is lock in the price in the futures markets so that any big adverse move won't affect their bottom line. Uh, house builders are another example. If you're a house builder that's planning on building houses in the next couple of years and you wanna sell them today, your big concern would be that the price of lumber, copper, aluminum, and some of the other products would go up in price before you even put a shovel in the ground. And of course, if that were to happen, then when the time came to actually build this house, you might be losing a lot of money. So what they do is they go out in the futures market as well and they lock in the price knowing that in two years from now, lumber will be X number of dollars, aluminum will be X number of dollars and based on those prices, that's how they calculate the cost that they're gonna have to charge you to build that house and be competitive. And we'll explain later on once we get into it about exactly how it works. But for the time being, raw material hedging is one of the main purposes of the futures markets and it's used globally by thousands and thousands of companies that need raw materials. The futures markets themselves as far as, now we're Canadian which means basically we can't deliver these products, our grains to the US. So what we do with the futures markets is we view them as a temporary to lock in price for a physical until you're ready to sell it. So give you an example. Uh, You see a price for your soybeans in July when there's hot weather and there's concerns about stress on your soybean product, you really like it. But unfortunately in June, the soybeans aren't harvested. So what you might wanna do is look at the futures markets and if you're quite happy with the harvest price, which would be November, you could lock in beans at let's say $13 or $12 US per bushel. As time goes on that year, you notice that uh, the um, drought is kind of dissipating and there's not really an issue in prices, of soybeans really start to drop. And by the time they're harvested, when, you, when they come off, off the field, they might be down as low as $9 a bushel. Well, what you do is, in this case, you don't deliver the beans, you actually turn around, sell the beans like you normally would to an elevator and get only your $9. But what you've done in the futures market is you've sold them on paper for $12 or $13, and the only commitment you have with that futures contract is now to unwind it or buy it back, and it's as simple as phoning your broker saying I sold beans for $14 a bushel, they're now at nine, I'd like to buy them back please. He closes the position out, so from 14 down to nine is a $5 uh, per bushel profit, Twenty uh, five 5,000 bushels would be a $25,000 profit. So what you've done is you've actually made the money you wanted to, But you've used the futures markets to lock in that price when you're happy with the price. In the futures market, each contract is standardized by exchange, the quality of the product, the quantity, and in case of grains, all of the grains have uh, the main contracts are 5,000 bushels, whether it be oats, barley, corn, wheat, or soybeans. So they're standardized and their settlement may be offset really easy. So to get in and out of the futures markets, It's as simple as pushing a button to buy a contract, and the only commitment you have is to push that button to sell it before it expires. It's quite simple. Some of the pros in using the futures markets is that they're very easy to get in and out of. Sometimes they're better prices than forward contracts because we could have a case where the the, um, price of soybeans or wheat could move quite quickly over a day or two, and yet the elevators really haven't changed their price if it's not against them. So that's one of the big advantages of using the futures markets. And if you change your mind somewhere along the way, for example, if some news were to come out that say, for example, the soybean price looks like it's gonna go a lot higher, all you have to do is go in the market and buy it back. Unlike a commitment when you've signed it for a forward contract, you just simply have to get out of your contract, take your loss and hope you're right. Also, we have use of margin, which means basically if you wanna buy a contract of soybeans, at $10 a bushel, 5,000 bushels is $50,000 US worth of product, you only need to put up about $3,000. It's almost like buying a house in the sense that you don't have to buy it with cash. So in this case, you put up three or $4,000 and that's all you have to commit for the time being uh, to buy or secure 5,000 bushels of soybeans. Of course, if the market goes against you, you have to put up a bit more money, But what it works out to be is a real good situation with your cash flow that you don't have to buy the whole contract for cash. So that that really is a big difference as well. Now, of course, some of the cons is fixed quantity. And that just simply means that 5,000 bushels is the size of the contract. So if you're a small farmer and you only have about 1,000 bushels, this may not be the market for you. Now having said that, they do have many contracts and I believe they even have some in Winnipeg but uh, they're not as liquid, but they are there. If you wanna try and trade those as well, we'll talk about those a bit. So fixed quantity is one issue. Uh, commissions is another one, but I really think this is negligible because the commissions on a contract for uh, any futures contract, if you do it yourself online, can be as little as $2 a contract. So that means a 5,000 bushel contract of soybeans or $50,000 for the soybeans the commission to trade it could be as little as four or five dollars if you do it yourself. Now if you go to a broker it might cost you a hundred dollars but that's still insignificant when you look at the uh, the amount of product that you're talking about. And of course it doesn't take into consideration bases. Uh, and being Canadians of course a big part of our price is priced into the Canadian dollar and we'll go into that in much more detail later on. So uh, a weaker Canadian dollar is a lot you know is good for us because that means we get the exchange because everything is based in US dollars. So it does ignore basis. That's a little bit of a con there as well. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's many different kinds of contracts. This is just a small sampling. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But there's grains, for example, there's corn, oats, soybeans, wheat, there's other ones. there's canola, uh, rye. Uh, We have live cattle, lean hogs, feeder uh, cattle. Um, We used to have pork bellies, not sure if we still do or not. Energy, we go with crude oil, natural gas, heating oil, um, jet fuel. There's so many different energy um, oils uh, in the energy sector today, and they just keep on growing as the need is there to hedge them. Uh, Softs, we refer to softs. We're talking about coffee, cotton, sugar, cocoa, and I think lumber is also thrown in there as well. Uh, All the major currencies, whether it be the euro euro currency, the Japanese yen, the the Swiss franc, uh, the Canadian dollar, the US dollar, all currencies, big, big market, they're used in uh, the futures markets as well to lock in or secure a price. And of course, we have interest rate um, futures, which include T-bills, 90-day bills, 30-day bills, bills, two-year treasuries, 10-year treasuries, 30-year treasuries, and the list just keeps going on and on. And of course, even um, the stock indexes. So for those of you who go through that are uh, maybe equity players or stock buyers, uh, if you have a large portfolio, let's say you had, for example, a portfolio worth about a half million dollars, it's ironic because what happens here is the fund managers or people that try and hedge the S&P, what they would do is instead of individually selling their stocks, which means they would take a lot of Uh, commissions and a lot of time to try and sell them and look to buy them back at a lower price. All they would have to do here is to get a weighted basket, which means a Standard & Poor's 500 index uh, could be the basket that you use and you simply sell one Standard & Poor's index and uh, it's one commission, moves down to the point you want to get out, you buy it back again. So even the hedge funds use these indexes in the futures to protect against an adverse move in the stock market. And then finally, we have, um, not finally, but metals is another huge one. Uh, palladium, uh, silver, gold, copper, zinc, a lot of these uh, futures contracts have become very popular over the past few years with miners who are basically in the same situation as farmers where they mine this product, and when the prices look good, they try and sell in the futures, markets that secure or lock in their price while the prices are, are advantageous or they're high. Price discovery is the second uh, purpose or uh, we mentioned before of uh, the futures markets. And basically what this means, there's a pool of experts worldwide that use these markets in Chicago. Uh, they in turn buy and sell when they think of prices right. So at any given day, when they come to an agreement, you can pretty much uh, rest assured that that's the price that that market is fairly priced at, giving all the things that are going on on the planet on that particular time. So any day when you see the corn say trading at uh, $2.40 a bushel on the close on Chicago, then we pretty much know that's a fair price because if it was worth a lot more, all the major elevators or the people would view it as a, um, a windfall and they would buy it up. If you can liken it to going to say an auction, and finding a 1957 Chevy there, for example, and uh, the starting bid on it's a thousand bucks and it's in pristine shape. you go, wow, I know it's worth a lot more than that. So that market will find itself and the people that are willing to buy that particular car will set the market value. As we said before, it's what somebody is willing to pay for something or somebody is willing to sell something is the fair market value. And with all these multinational companies bidding on grain each and every day, They pretty much set the price and again, it's given everything that's known at the time because if there's issues political, weather-wise, these people are aware of that and they're basing their price based on the outcome or the chances of something throwing the market out of whack. Um, So we're gonna deal with the CME. The CME is the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and it's a conglomerate. They own the New York Exchange as well. They also own the Chicago Board of Trade, which is where the actual um, Grains trade so to give you an idea how big is the uh, Chicago Board of Trade just so you, you can see the significance of this particular exchange here we have the 2016 corn contracts aggregate daily volume if you look at this chart you'll see it's very crazy we've seen days where volume is 900,000 contracts we've seen days where it's only 100,000 but if you look at the average it says the average daily volume of corn traded each and every day is 340,500 contracts. Don't forget a contract's 5,000 bushels, so do the math. That's a lot of corn, and that's the average every day on the Chicago Board of Trade. Soybeans, the average daily volume of soybeans is 245,000 contracts a day, times 5,000 bushels per contract. As you can see there, we've reached highs, as high as 800,000 contracts trading uh, on the board in a single day. And we see a low several times of about 100,000 contracts. But again, 245,000 contracts, 5,000 bushels, each and every day on the Chicago Board of Trade in soybeans. And finally, wheat, the daily average volume of wheat, 123,600 contracts every day, is the average. We've seen spikes there well over 250,000 contracts a day and of course as low as 50,000. But that'll give you an idea of how big this exchange is and how important it is as far as discovering a true price for the wheat. So corn, soybeans, and wheat, just these three grains alone uh, represent more than 700,000 contracts each and every day that's worth an estimated $20 billion a day in trade on just these three grains. Now, of course, the CME has a lot more than grains going for it, and as you can see here, there's roughly 13.7 million contracts for 2015 that were traded. When compiled, they're worth more than $1 quadrillion. That's one with 20 zeros after it. So that's a significant amount of raw materials that are being handled through futures contracts in Chicago. And that again is 2015. I've been looking for a more updated version, but I'm looking for 17 right now or 18. I can't seem to find it, but I will keep my eyes open. And I'm sure it hasn't gone down in in numbers. So for right now, I think that's just an overview of what we're uh, planning on doing. Uh, I'm gonna stop here and see if we have any questions and maybe we can now. What I'd like you to do is because this is just an introduction to what we're planning on doing, I would like just to stick to the topic here and not get into technical questions about the markets themselves, but just if you have any more questions about the this webinar series and how it works. So, uh, Megan, do we have anything? Uh, not on this yet. Not yet, eh? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, if we don't have any questions, then what I'm going to do is maybe go back and see if I can... Uh, expand a little bit on some of the things we've talked about. So again, the purpose of the seminar really is to try and give the farmers a a handle on what's happening with the markets in a technical uh, point of view, which means that we're not looking at the news as much. We will be talking about fundamental analysis versus technical. Now the difference for most of you that don't know, uh, fundamental analysis is usually based on information that we receive, whether it's through reports, or online or through the web. So when you go on for your daily newsfeed, you might see something about China, say for example, with the soybean situation. Well, the problem usually is the insiders or the people that really know what's going on or the inside the government or inside uh, the big trading companies have a hint of this before it really happens. They have a heads up and it's the old concept of buy the rumor, sell the news, because by the time you hear about it and you try and react, we find that the timing is not indicative, usually you end up getting on the wrong side of the market. That's very typical with um, fundamental analysis, which is generally based on news and reports, okay? So that's something to consider. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for fundamental analysis, by all means there is, but me personally, I don't even need to look at the fundamentals. If I look at my chart, I can tell what's going on overall. If I see prices down like they've been for the past few years, then I generally know that right now the demand is a lot lower than the um, uh, supply. The supply is a lot higher, which means the prices are depressed. Generally speaking, these markets run off supply and demand. If the supply is very high and the demand is low, prices are suppressed. If the supply is uh, low and the demand is very high, then we have a market situation where everybody's chasing after the same carrot, And the prices have a tendency to move a lot higher. And of course, what they do is they exaggerate their positions and they usually end up going a lot higher. And an example would be back in, I believe 2008, for those of you that remember, uh, wheat on, I think it was the Minneapolis exchange, got as high as $23 a bushel. Now, if you look at the charts, you could basically see what happened there. It didn't sustain itself. It started going into an upward trajectory. Most farmers were very happy with the prices and what they did is they sold when it got to five bucks, never seen it before, $6. And by the time it got to even seven, I would bet that most farmers had already sold all their product. And now we got people saying this is way too high and they do what we call a short position, which means they are betting that the price is gonna come down. So by betting the price is coming down, you take a position in the market where you figure the price is going to drop. Well, of course it didn't, it kept going higher and the higher it went, the more people, bet on it going lower. And it didn't, it kept going higher. And of course, what happens is there's a point called, what we call a capitulation, where people get tired and throw in the towel. And at that point, anybody that is short this market to try and make money is getting squeezed really badly. And at that point they have to surrender and say, okay, I'm wrong. And that's when the volume really comes in because to get out of a short position in these markets, they had to buy them back. And when they did, there was an influx of buy orders in the market and it just drove the market insane. And at one point, I think Minneapolis hit $23. And if you look back at the chart, within two weeks, we were right back down at that $5, $6 mark like nothing had happened, but a lot of people got hurt. So the charts tell you a lot and it's very important to follow them as well as uh, following the news. And one more thing, if you're not really going to be in the day trading, Uh, We're not looking at people actually doing this for day trading, but there's going to be a lot of times when a farmer is looking at where should I possibly sell my crop or lock it in? Because most farmers that I know uh, throughout the year, they sell a portion of their crop and then they wait a while and sell a a portion more. Uh, The technicals give you a good point of resistance and support levels. And it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in that if everybody feels that uh, say $6, for example, on wheat is an area of trouble, that might be a good spot to sell some of your wheat. Well, with technicals, we look at that, and we can see on the chart that that area could be a, an area to be concerned about. And if and only if you were planning on selling some anyway, that might be the best place to sell some. It's not saying you should sell there, but it's basically saying if you're planning on selling some, this might be a good spot. Okay, so I think we have a question here. Yes, yeah, so I have one question I think it was touching a little bit on what you were talking about before and the person asks if they're buying 17,000 bushels of soybeans a year on average would I purchase three forward contracts or four? If I purchase four am I speculating as I'm buying selling production I will not have? Um, okay uh, so basically as we said before a contract you're right this is 5,000 bushels so if you have 17,000 and you're liking the price, you wouldn't be buying it. First of all, I just want to clarify, you'd be selling the futures market, which means you're locking in that price. You've sold it at that price. And yes, if you're looking at it strictly as a business opportunity there, you would be overhedged, which means that if it comes down, you will actually do better. You'll make more money than you would have because you've got that extra half contract. However, if it goes up higher, uh, you're still fine because you've got you sold your... um, commodity, but now you're losing on a half a contract, which means that every uh, penny it goes up, you're losing about $25 to $30 per penny. So if you have a significant move and let's say uh, whatever product it was went up a full dollar, you would be losing about uh, $2,500 on that position because you are short. So, yeah, there's a way around that. We will talk about it once we get into details. And A lot of people use options instead of contracts. The beauty of an option is once you pay for it, you own it. There's no margin call. And uh, you can actually overhedge easier with options and not get hurt. Whereas with the futures, yes, you're right. If you have 17,000 bushels uh, and you sold four contracts, you would be overhedged. And if it went up significantly, you would be losing on half of that uh, fourth contract. Do we have anything else there? Uh, I just asked again, but that looks like all that we... <laughs> okay, well, you know what? I, 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 unless we're getting some questions, I just wanted today to take a minute. It's a kind of a rough day here. We're just kind of get set up. We're using the microphone on the computer instead of the proper one, but uh, it's just to say hello, introduce ourselves. And again, we're gonna start in a couple of weeks. I think it's in two weeks. If you haven't signed up, go to gfo.ca uh, marketing for the people that are in the small groups. And we will start at the basics. We'll start out very carefully with the futures contracts, um, what the Chicago Board of Trade is, why we deal with them, uh, what an, how to open an account. And we'll get into the size of the contracts, the specs of the contracts, and we'll take it one step at a time. And each one that we do, we will label it so that you can go back uh, later on and review it on our website. And we hope that you get something out of it. Maybe tell your friends about it, anybody that's interested. And it may be a slow slog in the beginning, but I think overall it is a a good opportunity. And I think every farmer today needs to be a bit more competitive when it comes to marketing. A lot of farmers years ago left it to the elevators, but um, you can uh, save a lot of pennies and dollars by knowing a bit more about this futures markets and being more timely about your trades. That way, if you decided In the middle of the night, you like the price, you could do something right there without having to wait to talk to the elevator guy in the morning. So hopefully you'll get something out of this course. Uh, I'd like to hear comments from you uh, and get feedback, of course. And once we get going, we'll be a lot more uh, interactive with you and you can ask questions on that particular topic that we're dealing with. So I guess that's about it unless we have any more questions. I wanna thank you all for coming. Nice to see a good uh, group of people. And thank you for your participation and hopefully see you uh, in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. Help us grow our Grain Talk podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you can download a podcast.